Now back to Puck and the Gas Man on your home for Seattle's best NFL draft coverage. Sports Radio 950. KJR. Two things that go together so beautifully. Sean Kemp's dunks and the calls there from Kevin Calabro. The Rain Man, Sean Kemp, uh, is going to join us here momentarily. Puck in the Gas Man here in the Carter Volkswagen studio. And Sean joins us right now here on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. Rain Man, how you doing today? I'm doing great this morning. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing great, man. It's a great, it's a great um, excuse just to have you on. You wrote... Uh, a beautiful piece the other day on the Players Tribune talking about uh, your time here in Seattle, playing with Gary and and uh, missing the Sonics. And uh, you know, I was telling Gas earlier that when I read it, it was just it brought back just a flood of memories for me. And I'm like, man, any any excuse to get you on just to talk about uh, the the past Sonic teams, but also uh, talk about the NBA. It, it doesn't matter. I could I could talk to you for hours. So I'm glad we're glad that you're on the show today. No, thank you very much for having me. You know, it was an interesting piece I had uh, to let you know how it came about a little bit was last week I actually went to a uh, Golden State game. I had been to an NBA game in probably a year, year and a half. So I decided to fly down to Golden State to to take a look at the game and see the playoff experience again. And it just brought back a lot of memories, I think, um, you know, watching the crowd. More so the crowd, I think, and the fans than it did the players. Mm-hmm. You know, so just uh, just to be in that atmosphere, it uh, just reminded me of uh, playing a lot of years here in Seattle with the fans coming down to the arena, getting pumped up during the playoff time. Um, it was a good feeling, man. It was good to see that. And then when I came back this week, they asked me, did I, would I like to do a published piece? And I was like, you know what, let's do it. I'll write it down for you guys. So I think it worked out well, and I appreciate you guys liking it. You know, Sean, it's it's interesting because I always used to say to people when I was when I was covering you as a player, you, you were you were kind of somewhat typical of a player. You weren't always open with the media because why? You you want to you want to hold things inside. You don't need to be an open book. But people would say, and I'm sure you heard this from time to time. People say, "Well, is Sean smart? Is he a smart guy?" And I would say, "He's a really thoughtful guy. He just doesn't talk a lot. He's kind of he's young and he's kind of quiet." You see something like this. You, you see something like the story, Sean, and we see how really deep and thoughtful you are because there's obviously. There's a there's a whole flood of memories that unlocked when you went to this Golden State game, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, being around this area so much here in recent years, not playing basketball, you know, it, it definitely has bothered me not having a Sonic chair. Um, you know, for one, just the fan support, but the other thing is that Sonics is the one that kind of showed myself about community work, working with others, so... It kind of showed me other things outside of basketball. So I thought that the best thing that the Sonics ever did in this area was go out and stay uh, youthful with kids, camps, clinics. They kept busy doing that stuff, and it really taught me a lifelong lesson to do some of those things. So, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a flashback, I think. But also I thought it was a perfect time just to let people know that the uh, the name of the Sonics hasn't disappeared completely. It's still there. We're still just – making everything work so we can get the team back here. Do you ever, I'm, I'm curious, and again, Sean Kemp, the Rain Man, uh, is on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline with us, Puck and Gas. 
I, I will. Someone said this on Twitter when I we, we, when I was promoting having you on. You know, I linked a, a ten minute YouTube clip of all of your top dunks, and someone had commented on Twitter. Oh man, great! Now I'm going to be in the Sean Kemp rabbit hole on YouTube. I'm going to spend the next hour watching highlights of Sean Kemp. I find myself every now and again doing the, the same thing. Do, do you ever find yourself just going down that rabbit hole and pulling up like old highlights of yours and watching them? I have before. I have every once in a while I will. And um, it's it's actually fun. And like I said, it, the main thing about when you watch those clips and stuff is watching the crowd, mm-hmm. just seeing how animated the crowd was, seeing how Kevin was on the microphone. <laughs> and then also you can see a lot of times you can see the my teammates' reaction to some of the dunks and stuff I did. I always thought that was entertaining also. So definitely brings back memories, man. It's just a great feeling all around. We were talking uh, uh, last week about Ken Griffey Jr. and how his career was just sensational, but part of what made it sensational was he had that great relationship with Dave Niehaus. And Dave Mm. Niehaus did such a good job on all of those great legendary junior plays. You had the same thing going with Calabro. We're listening while we were getting ready to bring you on. We're listening to all the old highlights and listening to Kevin and, and Marcus. And I mean, that was important to you guys, wasn't it, to have these great storytellers that chronicled these amazing things you guys did every night? Oh, man, absolutely. Um, you know, Kevin kept things so, so animated and it's so exciting for us uh, that, you know, the game would just barely be over and people would be coming to us and, Oh, did you hear what Calabro said on the radio and the TV? <laughs> so trust me. I mean, and you got to remember, Kevin was the guy who named me Rain Man. So he was the one that kind of came up with that nickname, the Rain Man, and I uh, pushed it for me. So uh, definitely much appreciation to him and uh, and the staff, too, for coming up with that. You know, I learned a lot in this article. We were going over it again this morning. I'm like, God, this is really cool. One of the things I'd like you to talk about, because this happened, I, I had been here, I came here about a year after they drafted you, Sean, and they had drafted Gary already. Uh, talk a little bit about the story of, of I guess it would have been Bob Whitson who came to you and said, hey, I want you to watch this game tonight. Take a look at this kid named Gary Payton. You're already a pro. He's at Oregon State, and you watch him, and he just lights it up, and you're like, all right, let's go get this guy. Kind of talk about that story a little bit and when you first really noticed who Gary was. Oh, yeah. I mean, I really first noticed Gary. The first time would have been, um, it was a Saturday afternoon, as I said in the article, when Bob had told us about take a look at this kid. I believe uh, Gary was playing UCLA on a Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, and this is, you got to remember, this is in the early 90s, so usually the big players are the ones who got a lot of attention back then. So they're telling me that the 6'3", 6'4", guard is a dominant player. And I'm like, I have to see this. But (laughs) the first part of the game, you know, I will tell you this, where Gary was, uh, he wasn't the greatest shooter in college, but man, he was all around the court just doing everything, just defensively playing his butt off, just all around. And the second half, what I really noticed from him, man, is just his mouth. He was running that <laughs> mouth. Man, he was chopping them lips. He was running that mouth constantly. And, uh, you know, I looked at the bottom of the TV screen, and it said 42 points. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. He's not just running his mouth, but he's producing also. So, you know, I when I saw him play, I just thought it would be a perfect fit. I always said that some, it would take somebody to motivate me a little bit to uh, – to bring the best out of me. And uh, the best thing ever happened to me was Gary coming to Seattle because 
we wasn't the complete players at first, but I think we worked our butt off to become better shooters, better all-around players, do the little things, and that's what made us so good. But Gary was just a, a great college player, and um, that Saturday I think he ended up with 50 or 52 points against UCLA. I went back and I told Bob and those guys, that's the guy right there. If we can get him – We've got to get him. What was it? Because you, you know, Sean and Juan, when I was growing up and watching you play, you weren't you weren't the biggest talker. In fact, I don't. You didn't really talk much on the court. I mean, you you let your dunks and your physical play and and flying above the rim kind of do all your talking. And then when you're teamed up with someone like that, who literally, I mean, I've sat near the court to watch him play. It, his, the mouth does not stop the entire game. He's going. He went after Chris Jackson, Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf who had Tourette's, he went after him and used to mock him for Tourette's. That's how cold-blooded Gary Payton was. He used to mock him. He used to walk up to Chris Jackson. Sean knows and go, and it was like, it didn't matter who you were. What what was that? Yeah, what was that? What was it? What Did it ever, did you ever like have to go to him and say, all right, man, like enough is enough. Stop. At times, but mostly I was the one that said a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, and, and, I, and I told you guys this story before, it was just like, I think Gary played really the first year, but then our second year, uh, that's when we played Chicago Bulls in the preseason, mm-hmm. I um, I go to Gary and I told him, I said, look, that's Michael Jordan, you're the defensive player. You know, I, I got in his head a little bit before he could challenge Michael Jordan. I had no idea Gary was just going to go up to Michael Jordan and kind of just go off on him. But he absolutely, <laughs> he absolutely did before the game. And, um, you know, Chicago won the game, but Gary played pretty decent defensively. And I think the main thing of the thing was just the confidence and the the swagger, I think, that we represented. It kind of started to rub off on the team a little bit where guys got a little more confident. And the truth of it is this, guys, like, Gary's mouth got us into a lot of things, but it really made us play hard, especially on the road games. When you got a guy out there just yelling, saying stuff to the opponent, it really just makes you play harder. It was it was such a team full of dynamic personalities, including the head coach. I'm not sure there could have been a better guy than George to to kind of to kind of hold. And I remember George George would fight with us all the time. He and I would argue all the time. And George George said to me once, and I really I really took this to heart, Sean. And you could talk about this. George said to me once, "said Gas, you don't understand. Every single day of my life starts with a thirty-minute argument with Gary Payton about something." And I'm like, "Yeah, oh, I, no I, doubt about it. It was about practice time, uh, what we were doing in practice. It was always something." And I think, I think those arguments led led to their great relationship. They had a great, they had a great relationship. They communicated very well. George and I had a good relationship. George knew which buttons to push with me and Gary to get us motivated which was the main thing. Um, you know, a lot of times people give us players the credit, but we also have to give Coach Carl a lot of credit because he knew which buttons to push with us to make us better. So I can appreciate that much more now than what I did when I played. Sean Kemp, the Rain Man, joining us here on the Beacon Plumbing Hotline. Along those lines, you know, one thing I, I found interesting about the piece with, that you wrote the other day on the Players' oh. Tribune, and I want people to go read it, just go to playerstribune.com, and, and Sean wrote a, a piece up there about his time in Seattle and, and playing with Gary Payton and, and missing the Sonics was something that I didn't know. And, and, you know, people always just associate you guys with, with George Carl. But I, I thought your paragraph or two, going back and, and looking back on your career, that you didn't realize at that moment the impact and the influence that Casey Jones had 
on both you and Gary that when you guys were, yeah. were playing under him, maybe you didn't realize what he was doing for you. You guys didn't realize his impact until years later. Yeah, absolutely. I think when the time that Casey was the coach here in Seattle, um, we were kind of going through a little bit of a transition with the team with some guys getting traded and stuff because me and Gary had started to develop. So they were getting rid of a, a few key guys. And uh, Casey had took over as head coach. And I don't – you know, Casey was such a good coach, Randy. He was so used to, like, just writing things down on the chalkboard, relaying the message to the players, and the players just go out and do that. I don't think we had the patience or the smarts at that time to really deal with his his coaching. And um, it was it – was, I felt bad for him because we couldn't get the wins. He ended up losing his job. I felt great because George came in, and he was more of a motivator, and we kind of needed that at the time because we were young. But Casey was great, man. I mean, I, I enjoyed playing for him. Um, his messages that he sent during the game and before the game were awesome. Uh, you know, I spent the – my rookie season, he was assistant coach, so I spent a lot of time talking to him. Um, and I just felt bad that we didn't give him more when he was the head coach. Yeah, Sean, for, for all of us who loved the Sonics in that era, there, there's the, the one big scab that will never heal probably. And I'm, I'm just wondering all these years later, just how – how often, if at all, do you think back to that Denver series? Do you? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you have regrets. Any any champion? And look, you accomplished a lot during your career. We don't need to bring up a bad moment, but I'm curious as to your memory of that, and 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 maybe how much it still kind of nags at you, and not just you personally, but the whole team that 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 was an opportunity that you let get away. It was. It was. I, I will, I'll tell you guys this. Uh, Sometimes we look back at that year and we lost to Denver, which was a was a good year, but also it was the year that we lost to the Lakers. Both of those years, I believe, was the year that Houston Rockets won the championship. Right. So it was. So I think it was really two years span that we we started bringing guys in, and we didn't have the full chemistry of the team down. And I think we had to make some adjustments. We had a little bit too many shooters. Guys wasn't paying attention to detail quite sure. But we were right there. I mean, you got to remember, we're playing Houston Rockets. We beat them, I believe, in two years. We beat them every game but twice. And I believe we played them three or four times every year. So, you know, we kind of had Houston's number. And I believe those two years that they won the championship, we should be kicking our butt still. Mm just because of those losses. And, uh, of course, I think about the Denver loss. Anytime I see a player waving that one little Matambo oh. finger around, <laughs> it, just, it just kills me. Anytime I see that clip with Matambo laying in the Seattle oh. house on the floor, celebrating, it just kills me. So, um, you know, I, it's such a learning lesson. But also, I think at that point, it made Gary a better player, and I think it made me a better player also. I was, I was 17. I, I mean, to this day, it's the only time I've ever cried – because of a result of a sporting event. Really? You cried? Was that, was that game? Oh, my God. I, I bawled like I've never bawled before in my life. Wow. That was my team. Yeah, I mean, Sean, I, Sean and I have talked about this before. I mean, that that is my favorite team of all time. That is my yeah. favorite sport of all time. I mean, that and that tenure of that group, that was everything to me. And so when I thought they were unbeatable. I'm like, there is no way we are losing to the Denver Nuggets. And it's like, I mean, from Matumbo to John Elway and the stupid introductions in Denver. You're I mean, still I'm, upset about I'm this. I'm still pissed about it. I get mad to this day. <laughs> hey, Sean, one thing, you and I have never talked about this before. One thing I've always wondered, because I've, I've always felt this way, 
Do, do you guys ever, when you reminisce about the old days, do you ever sit back and, and you think of that 92-93 team? Oh, you know, the yeah. team that lost to the Suns when you guys were Absolutely robbed of going bad. to the finals because they decided to, they wanted Barkley in the finals and they well, let them shoot 9,000 oh, free throws. Do you I ever... You, yeah, do, we talked about it, and I will tell you guys... Just well, I was going to ask you, let, let me interrupt, because I was going to ask you, do, oh, you do you ever wish that that team was kept together another year? Yeah, I think we need a little more time, definitely. When we, you know, when we played Phoenix, they beat us, but they really didn't beat us. If you remember, it was a large foul count against oh, yeah. the Sonics that game. And if you remember, that's the one official who ref that game who also wouldn't get a little time in the jail cell. So, <laughs> Was that Donahue? No. Was Donahue roughing that game? I don't think Donahue was. Yeah. What, what? I believe he was rested again. Okay, I'll double check. Well, I don't know. Some yeah, funny business was going on because they shot a thousand free throws more than you guys. It was I, terrible. Well, I think it was like, I think the, the free throw count was like forty-eight to twelve or ten or something like that. I'll, I'll, I will it look it up. I'm looking it up right now. Why guess when we can find yeah. out? Because it was, it was. But to the bigger point that that Jason made, Sean. That's something that gets overlooked. We we tend to look at Denver. We look at the Lakers. We look at, at yeah. when you left and all that. That 93 team had oh. a lot of potential, and the decision was made to break it up. Uh, the McKee for Shrimp trade was made, and, and you look back on it and go, geez, I wonder what would have happened had that team stayed together. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in, in fair respect, you know, we would play Indiana. Detlef would really give us some numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, he was – the truth of it, we would play Detlef. We had here we had three, four big guys of six eight, six nine. He was still Detlef was still giving us forty and forty five points. Um, so I didn't I wasn't mad at them for going to get Detlef, but I do think we needed a little more time with me and Derek playing at the uh, he was at the yeah. small four, I was at the power yeah. forward. I think we could have used a little more time. But um, you know, we the truth of it is we had three or four teams that really could have won the championship. Uh the 92 team was probably the closest that we ever had together. And then the, uh, the, the game against Denver was a close team, but we definitely didn't have the chemistry to uh, make it to the championship. I, I just like, I, I think for that, and the, the free throw disparity in that, in that game was 64 to 36. Barkley shot 22 free throws in that game. He was 19 of 22. Uh, from the floor, there was just something about that team. I I liked the listen. Detlef Shrimp was a, an amazing player. I mean, he was a great player. But I liked. I thought you guys had plenty of scoring, and so I liked yeah. Derek. I liked the having Derek McKee, and then having Dana Barrows, and then having even Benoit, and 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 the Michael Cage and Eddie Johnson, and then you had Ricky Pierce, and you had Sam with who he gave you who gave you scoring as well. I just thought that was. I don't a, a physical, a more physical team, kind of a grittier team. Detlef was a great addition. Kendall just didn't work out. It just wasn't a, a good mix for you guys. But yeah, I, that was my no. favorite team. No. Yeah, Kendall wasn't a uh, – he didn't work out quite right. I think going back to what you just said, I think Derek McKee really helped us out defensively a lot of times. He could guard guys. It was the two guards, the three, the four, and the five. So he was such a he was such a player that he could guard multi positions and do so much that when he was traded and that was brought in, we lost a little bit on the defensive end, but we definitely gained some on the offensive end. We talked about uh, you and Gary, and in the article you talk about you and Gary still stay in touch, obviously, and I'm sure you stay in touch with other guys. Have you seen George or talked to George lately? He's kind of been off the radar since his book came out, and he hasn't coached again and hadn't been on TV. Have you talked to Carl at all? I have not talked to George, and I think. 
Coach probably took a little bit of a break after that book came out. He took a little, you know, a little heat from uh, yeah. some of the things some of the things he said. But we all know when you write a book, they're always going to key in on a few things that you say. You can't write a book unless you have something that's very interesting in there. So, um, you know, I think what Coach said was really honest. I think, um, you know, it's just Coach Carl. You got to take it as it comes. He's an honest guy. He's going to tell you like it is. Whether you like it or whether you don't. I got two last things for you, Rain Man. What, uh, what's this city of Seattle mean to you? Oh, man, it means a little bit of everything. You know, I was, um, you know, I've said this for a while now. I came here as a teenager and, and was able to uh, not just learn the game of basketball, but learn the game of finance and be able to take care of myself, my family. So I think Seattle really just made me become a, not just a millionaire, but a, a complete person. So, uh, you know, you know, I'm from originally from Indiana, but I spent more time here in Seattle now than I have in uh, Indiana. So I consider this home, and uh, the people have always treated me great here. And uh, I think it's part of my living a normal and a regular and a good life because I've had that support from this area. And then, and then, lastly, there's so much great. I mean, if people aren't watching the league right now, there is. I think this is the best group of young talent maybe the league has ever seen what uh of the young group the young guys who is who is sean kemp sitting down on his couch who are you watching who are you liking to watch of kind of this these new young guns in the nba well i like a lot of young players but if it's probably one player that i really really enjoy liking to watch it's gonna be anthony davis yeah uh you know i you know he doesn't look like he's that dominant of a player but, man, the kid can really play. But he does so many things on the basketball court, whether it be pass, dribble, shoot. Uh, you know, I just say this, too, also. I mean, these guys playing the game today, they're such good shooters. People don't realize that these guys are seven foot, seven one. Most of them are shooting threes now, which you would have never saw when I was playing. So, um, you know, sometimes I think older players criticize the players because it's not as a physical lead. But, Brad, if you're talking about talent right now, the NBA is probably at its highest level as far as its talent across the borderline right now. And I enjoy watching it still. And one last question about a teammate who's in the news right now. Uh, I'm watching the Pacers the other night. They gave up 60 points in the first half. And I said to my wife, I don't know what's going to happen in the second half, but I bet Nate offers to murder every single player in the locker room if they don't start playing better defense. Nate was this smiling guy, but he had a fire inside of him. I, do you think he yelled at his team at halftime the other night? Oh, yeah, he got on the bus, believe me. He got on the <laughs> bus. And I can tell you right now, they had a shoot around this morning, and Nate was in their bus right now telling them to be alert, to keep a body on LeBron James to be a little more physical with him, to do all those little things. And uh, if you ever see the team play defense, you watch that game tonight. Yeah. Coach McMillan to have the boys playing some good defense tonight. There you go. Sean, great having you on. Let's not be strangers. Let's uh, let's do this again in the future. It was a great chat. Go read uh, Sean's piece up at the players, uh, playerstribune.com uh, talking about reminiscing about his time uh, in Seattle. Great catching up with you. Oh, man, thank you guys. Anytime, and good to hear from you. All right, there he is, the Love Rain you, Sean. Man. Thanks. Sean Kemp, who, uh, and again, I, I, 
you know, for me, I mean, it's the I think it's the greatest duo we've probably we've had here in Seattle sports. Two guys working together. I mean, for mm-hmm. me, him and Peyton, that was that was just it for me. Just a uh, Griffey. Uh, it's for other people. It's Griffey. Right, right. For yeah, me, it's that so, uh, a strong and and also smart and sweet guy. Yeah, just uh, had had the and and it's it's funny because when I asked him that first question, I remember people say, "Is Sean smart?" I go, "Yeah, he actually's really thoughtful. He just doesn't talk a lot because yeah. he at the time he's twenty two, yeah. and he's a player. Why why would he talk to the media? He's not going to open up to a lot of them. And you can tell from this." article and from our conversation this is uh we're, we're so lucky he's decided to stay up here and you know from from and there's a million guys you name but from slick to sean to yeah. all these guys that keep that sonic spirit alive that's important i can't believe it's been a decade and we're still trying to figure it out but sure. it's important that they're keeping the spirit yeah. alive of what the what it means all right we'll continue after break we went a little long there again a reminder charles davis the nfl network will join us at the top of the hour to break down the nfl draft